Welcome to the Visionaries Podcast, sponsored by Alchemy. I'm your host, Jim Maroos. The Visionaries Podcast shines a light on financial institutions at the cutting edge of digital transformation, providing you with the tips and tricks to elevate your digital game. Community banks and credit unions have taken deposits and made loans to first-time home buyers, early depositors, and dreamers of all kinds for decades. Over the years, the business model for these institutions has largely stayed static. But the marketplace has changed. Today, instead of being forced to choose the products that financial institutions offer, customers have come to demand personalized solutions that they want from their bank or credit union on their terms. My guest today is Kurt Kairos, president of Coastal Financial Corporation. We discuss how a $3.2 billion bank in Everett, Washington, is rethinking and reinventing the traditional banking business model to better serve customers, employees, and shareholders. Welcome, Kurt. Before we dig into what is happening at Coastal Community Bank, can you share a bit about your career background and how your various roles have prepared you for the journey that you're on today? Sure, Jim, I sure can. Um, Unfortunately, I have to admit that my career background goes back in banking now over 40 years, which is painful to say out loud, but you know, it is what it is. And in the early days, I went through a management training program in the early 80s, uh, back when big banks had those, and you know, learned a lot of the basics. But back then, at the end of the day, in my first lending job, it was all about initialing pink and green debit and credit tickets. I learned how to use a microfiche machine to look up items. Uh, I was a teller in college, so you know, I, I learned how to use a teller machine and such. But really, uh, I spent a good part, first half of my career in commercial banking, corporate finance, treasury management sales, things of that nature. And somewhere in the mid-90s, uh, when I was actually f- working for National Bank of Canada, it was the first time that I got exposed to the power of data. You know, it was a bank that was really focused on using analytics, you know, for what they were in the mid-90s. And then uh, shortly after that, went to work for PNC and was exposed to even more intense data analytics and started to become addicted to that. I was working as a credit executive, so the credit side, but looking at analytics and seeing behaviors in a portfolio that you couldn't see uh, just from the standard reports that you would have, you know, kind of just piqued my interest. Did spend some time as a chief operating officer of a startup back in the mid 2000s. Um, we built an online um, auction platform for accounts receivables. So then I took the power of data, combined it with building things, and so worked with a brilliant CTO who helped design the, the high-frequency trading systems at the New York Stock Exchange and learned how to, to deal with big databases but turn them into action platforms. And then the Great Recession hit, so I was went back into banking and somehow made my way to Utah to run an internet-only digital bank and really take it through a digital transformation. And it, so it really all focuses on the power of data, uh, you know, and really moving data. Back in the days when I was lending, I used to do a lot of leveraged finance, and there was a lot of private equity firms. And there was a private equity firm and, a, and an individual in particular who took me to a, a rocking chair manufacturing facility in central Texas. And that's where I learned about straight through processing because they basically had a square manufacturing facility and they had several lines to, to make components of the rocking chair. And they would come off in batches and they would store the pieces and parts in these big bins. And this private equity firm came in, knocked out a wall, 
and built an extension that was long and narrow and literally just made the processing line in one long stretch, right? And it's the simplest representation I can think of a straight-through processing, but you would start with raw materials and a rocking chair would come out at the end, right? Instead of all these pieces and parts and batching. And in banking, I think we're, we're going through the same thing, right? Instead of batching and handing paper and files to the next group to do the next piece of work on something. And our core systems work on batches, right? Now we're talking about one source of truth, a piece of data. And then how do we take that and, and build work around it? So long way to answer your question, but those are my, my lessons. We are now understanding more than we did back in the 80s, 70s, 90s, that how important the the whole idea of data and analytics was and information is to the foundation of everything we're doing from the standpoint of innovation and things like this. And, and it's interesting also, our paths have crossed in more ways than one without me even knowing it before this call. I worked on behalf of PNC, I actually started at National City Bank in my career, but served PNC from a direct market standpoint for years. In addition, I worked in Canada for three years. Uh, I spent actually three days a week for five years at CIBC working on their credit card marketing. And I think I got to know you a little bit at Tab Bank, which, you know, as you look at your most recent stop before you you joined Coastal at Tab, they, they were known for their innovative process. They're, they're, they're very innovative, very digital, way before most financial institutions are, were. When you joined Coastal, what challenges did you face and what opportunities were there that you didn't have in previous roles? The interesting thing, because so TAB started out as an industrial loan charter bank that didn't have any branches, right? Serving truck drivers. Um, so there was internet-based but still using old systems. So a digital transformation there was different because you were basically already having a user interface that, well, I mean, in the early days, it was a fax machine in an ATM in a truck stop, which translated then to apps and, and mobile banking and things of that nature. Here at Coastal, you have the best of community banking, right? We've got one of the best run community banks in the country with raving fans as, as customers in this local uh, market. But as this bank has evolved over the last few years, it's become a heavy banking as a service player. Um, and so now serves over 6 million customers through its partners. The interesting thing is like, and I've, I've long been a fan of, of community banks. My dad was a community banker. I saw the impact he had on his local, on local community, but it was geographically constrained. You've written and talked about this extensively. How do you take the best parts of community banking and translate it into the digital sphere? And that's what I see as a unique opportunity at Coastal is this, this CCBX division that we have, which is banking as a service, partnering with fintechs and major brands to do you know everything from embedded banking to just service as banking as a service with the best of the a community bank. And, and it wasn't quite connected when I walked in. And that's, that's the journey we're on is how do we bring it together, right? How do we bring that personalization to the digital world? How do we take the best of the digital world to the personalization that's you know on the ground in this geography. I believe in my heart of hearts it can be done, but it really takes a, a an obsessive view around the customer. And that's the fun part because uh, the core values here at Coastal Bank are about being unbanking. It literally says unbanking in one of our core value statements. 
and using great thinking. And so, you know, it's it's never been a place uh, with the leadership of Eric Sprink. It's never been a place where you just kind of do things the way everybody else does it. In the core of what you're talking about, it gets down to culture. You got hired by somebody who believed that you could continue to move the organization that was already moving quite fast, innovatively, faster. Recently, your bank was awarded the trifecta of recognitions, I'll call it, being the best bank with the best mortgages and being the best place to work. And what was interesting from my perspective there is you're actually building a culture that is not only important to the consumer, to the customer, but also to the employees. Now, what makes a culture at Coastal different from everyone else in the marketplace? I'll term it as GSD because the S, you know, I can say get stuff done, but we typically say something different uh, when we're, you know, doing hand-to-hand combat here. But uh, that's the culture here is find a way, uh, be relentless. You know, it's another one of our value statements is be relentless. And so you walk into here and you see that. And what what I saw, the reason I was hired was we had that in the culture. What we didn't have is the right set of tools. We had people that were figuring out how to get it done by hook or crook, but, but sometimes weren't getting it done the best way. And so, you know, how do we empower uh, our employees to do the best work? And that's that's where technology, digital transformation, that's where you really can accelerate what we're doing. The growth we've had so far has been phenomenal. I mean, we've gone from 40,000 plus households to 6 million. What's fascinating, though, is the growth that's ahead of us. Um, we have partners right now. That are, we have one partner that's opening 10,000 checking accounts a week. Um, so the growth trajectory we're on requires that our people get the best tools out there. Before we dig into the whole banking as a service platform, which is really the foundation upon which a lot is being built around Coastal, you know, you need the technology as well as the people. And we've established that the people and culture are, are at the core of what is needed. But modern technology is required, but you're a small organization with competitors that are, are obviously have budgets that are much bigger than yours. How do you make decisions on the technology to purchase and how do you make this all work so well? Yeah, that's a great question because like so many other people, uh, you know, years ago as I'm trying to figure out how to really lead the first digital transformation that I went through, there was a lot of discussion about build or buy, which were yes or no conversations. I think it's both. You need to build and buy, right? I mean, that my heart of hearts has to be. And because of what I think has happened over the years with banks is we've had the major core providers, the big three, you know, you, you can love them or hate them and you can have your own opinions about them, but it's the evolution of our industry together. But what happened was we relied on them to do a lot of the ancillary services. And so you got whatever the offering was from those bigger players. You know, today, an IT department in a $3 billion bank uh, may not have capabilities to build things, to program, to develop, have engineers, um, may have might not have top-notch data people involved. So you need to outsource, right? We're a small bank. We need to outsource. But you need to have some capabilities in-house to oversee that, right? And, the, and then all of this, as I've spent years interacting with FinTech Solutions, what I've found is they don't understand where we're coming from, right? They have a prepackaged software as a service. Let's go implement it. But there's not agile mindsets within typical banks. 
We don't have even great waterfall project management systems for most small banks. And when these two come together, there's a lot of failure in implementation. So I think you need to build NBOT, right? You need to build the workflows that connect systems, and you need to buy everything else you can. That's kind of my opinion. So with that being said, how do you determine the technologies that you're actually going to implement or or purchase? And how do you select the third-party partners who you want to collaborate with? Yeah, you know, um, that's a hard hard one because I will admit I've made lots of mistakes over the years in that regard. You know, I think you have to engage. You and I spend a lot of time in, in LinkedIn, social media, et cetera. I read a lot of stuff. I talk to a lot of people. I go to conferences and I network. I don't sit and hang around with just the bankers. I don't play golf, so that makes it easier. And so you can go to conferences. You can go to fintech conferences, but you can just do it on social media. My digital journey started by absorbing and reading and consuming a a lot that's out there, learning the landscape. And then you've got to do the hard work. And as painful as it may seem to, to us bankers, right, you need to go sit through the demos and have the dogged kind of perseverance to kind of sift through, ask hard questions, talk to your references to people that have used these vendors. It's it's a lot of hard work. It's not just let's talk to a, two or three parties and decide which one we like best. You know, and we've used a lot of consultancies here at Coastal and a lot of bankers bristle at that. I will tell you that when you're getting into territory that's unfamiliar to you, you better talk to some experts. So I don't have any easy answers there. It's hard work. I keep on using the analogy of uh, GPS systems. And the reality is, if you don't learn from the other drivers that have gone down the path before you, what you need to avoid or what shortcuts are in front of you, you're going blind. And it's, it's not a good way to go, especially if you're a small organization where the risk and reward can't be, you, you want the reward to be good, but you can't really take a massive risk because you can't absorb that. On the other hand, if you don't take advantage, as, as you mentioned, of the education that's all around us all the time and lean on your partners. I mean, that's what they're there for. You know, a lot of organizations will pick a partner and then tell them how to do their job, which is also a, a recipe for failure. So we've mentioned it, we've referred to it a couple of times that a major part of the digital transformation process at Coastal has been your very robust banking as a service offering. This has significantly impacted the growth of your bank, both in terms of deposits and lending. Can you can discuss some of the collaborations that are already in place that have been impactful to your bottom line? Yeah, well, I mean, we have uh, over 20 active partners. Um, they're they're all all the way from fintechs to you know major brands. We we sponsor One Finance, which is you know uh, majority owned by Walmart now. So you've got that major brand. We've actually got a couple of um, other major brands in in the pipeline right now that are going to um, be launching this year and early next year which brings the potential to reach so many customers. And for us, it's the engagement question, right? And this is something I know you know a lot about, right? Is, you know, how do we reach new customers? I can tell you this, our community bank, while we have very loyal customer base and we have won awards, and thank you for calling that out, we know that that every day they're engaging with more and more digital interfaces with potential places where they might do any level of banking or financial management or, you know, the gamut. You know, we see that as the future, and it's how do you engage customers in a new way, right? You've written quite a bit uh, about plumbing. Uh, Ron Shevlin talks about, or it's you or Ron that talks about dumb pipes. I forget 
being the plumbing. But, you know, I believe that, right, we are moving towards that world where banking financial services are really going to be at the point of interaction where the customer needs it, when the customer needs it, and not really doing banking thing, right? And so, you know, as we bring these partners to bear, and we've, you know, launched uh, Coastal World, coastalworld.com, a, a metaverse play, we're thinking about this as an ecosystem. It's crazy to think that Community Bank has prioritized that as being a, how can we keep our vision on where the, the future may go? I mean, yeah, I recommend everybody who listens to go to uh, uh, Coastal World because basically it, it is a virtual bank. Yeah. And, and speaking of awards, we just won our fourth award for coastalworld.com. And we haven't pu- done a public launch. It's live and active, but we won site of the year just last week. But it's a it's a gamified archipelago where there's islands and we've got all these fintech partners represented as well as Coastal Bank. And it's gamified. And the interesting thing, Jim, is you know, we've got six to eight hundred daily users that are active. And and it started out they were active for six minutes then seven minutes. Now we're up to nine minutes per session. So it's engaging. It's, it's gamified, right? And it's, and it's done well. It's engagement. But underneath that, right, this ecosystem, what we're really focused on is, is building that kind of uh, the digital twin. Uh, you and I have both been reading. You wrote about decision engines recently. Those are all a component of, I think, building this new world where, look, fraud's rampant. Uh, the attacks on on our identities is rampant. You know, how do we start to think about this in a completely different way? An engagement level, right? Does it make sense that that the engagement level is going to be a banking app? The more I think about it, it's harder to believe that, right? It's it's gone from the branch to a banking app. I think it's really something else, right? The consumer is going to tell us how and when they want to engage with us. Well, and if you don't test those different platforms, you won't be there when the consumer gets there. That's right. And that's, you know, so we consider it, we're doing old-fashioned R&D. You know, that's what we consider uh, Coastal World. Because now we put it up, the next phase of it is really internal. We're building an employee onboarding interaction for Coastal World. And so the first thing our employees will experience is that virtual gamified world, and they're going to learn how to do their job and how Coastal, Coastal Bank operates. And then from that exercise, we're hoping to figure out, you know, what does it take to really make this happen? And underneath it, of course, there's a lot of technical things. There's the figuring out how to do digital identities, uh, digital movement of money, tokenization of data. Right now, you know, you and I, Jim, we have our social security number and our pers- PII is everywhere, right? I mean, there's no way to deny it. Sure. I've got uh, some young kids at home. Don't ask me why I have kids that are 10 and 12 at my age, but I do. And But my 10, it's fascinating because they live that world and that digital sphere of Roblox and Minecraft and Fortnite. And Theo Lau's right, you know, writing her second book and talking about the metaverse. And she says, you go to South Korea and and there's so much engagement that's, that's in this kind of versions of 3D and et cetera. You know, it's hard to imagine my 10-year-old son, you know, interacting with banking in the way you and I ever had. They're going to have expectations that it follows us. But in that, right, we banks are trusted, right? We're a trusted source of storing money, of value, of protecting the consumer. And yes, I believe in that wholly. Well, why don't we lean into figuring out how to build, you know, a trusted ecosystem that you can enter into and be validated and then conduct financial business in a secure environment rather than out there 
exposed in the wild with just a knife and you're in the forest or in our swamp. I had a guy, a friend in college that used to go out into the swamps of Louisiana with just a knife and stay for a weekend. So I don't recommend that. Let's find a protected environment to go camping in like my backyard with my kid, right? Where I kind of know what the environment's going to be like. So that's a little, you know, that's kind of how we think about it. And, but we are experimenting. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast, Alchemy Technologies. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Welcome back to the Fissionaries Podcast, sponsored by Alchemy Technology. Well, it's interesting because the banking and service world is is wild, wild west. It can, it can be anything you want it to be. At Coastal, what is your overarching banking as a service strategy, and what's your end vision of where you hope banking as a service takes your bank? We envision it as, as kind of creating that ecosystem where we can transact business in a, in a more secure way than, than just, as I said, done out, done out in the wild. So that does include building uh, the digital twin kind of environment, right? What is a digital representation of me? Um, and then combining the best in products and, and engagement, onboarding, et cetera, that fintechs and technology can bring with a secure infrastructure. So for us, it's building that secure infrastructure. You know, there are a lot of intermediaries trying to kind of build those kind of interactive connections between fintechs and banking system. You know, we think it's better done maybe by the banking system itself. Take out uh, the intermediaries and figure out how to build those connections. And so for us, the banking and services, you know, how do you create that more safe space and way to conduct everything without throwing data back and forth um, between systems over the Internet? How can we use blockchain tokenization, the best in data security to to allow you to own it? You think of PFMs, right? Personal financial managers. I believe, I think the best banks might have a 10% uptake on that in their apps, something like that, if I, if I got stats right. And people want that right kind of guidance, but it's embedded. If it's embedded in a bank app, what do you do with your when you're shopping on the internet or you're shopping out there in a mall and you really want to know how your desires and wishes are going to play into your financial program, right? We need to figure out how to bring all this out with the client. How do we take, you know, data aggregation from transactional history and combine it with an engagement level, and that's where we think Coastal World might come into play, where, you know, we can have financial education and guided financial. Then you can tell us in a fun way, these are my aspirational goals, and we can combine that with the rest of your data infrastructure, your credit profile, things like that, and help help you empower the consumer to engage and consume those in a better way. In all the talk and implementation of banking as a service platforms, it all seems to be good news. I mean, you've grown enormously through your customer contacts, through your banking as a service implementations, but it's not a simple gravy train. There are risks and challenges with the banking as a service strategy. What are those from your perspective? I mean, today, the biggest one is what has happened to funding, right? 
you know, the VC funding that that had been powering so many of them is dried up. And so without that easy and cheap and free and uh, available money, then how do they fulfill their aspirations? And so we have, we were nearing 30 partners at one point last year. You know, we, we're in the process of exiting, we have exited or exiting seven of those partnerships. And knock on wood, it's all been a clean exit with those and the consumers have had, a, you know, as, as best experience as their as their partners either shut down or pivoted or, you know, whatever else. But so the funding is dried up. But I think there's there's also the the difference between the VC funded world and the banking world. Right. And bankers are taught to reduce risk to zero. Let's not make one mistake. Right. I was trained that way in credit, et cetera. That's our management training program. Yep. That's right, right? And VCs are, are really going for the one big hit. So we're trying to avoid the one big loss. They're trying to make the one big hit, right? That's two different approaches, right? And so when the VC-funded organizations and the banking come together, it's a hard mix, right? When you think about VC funding, uh, are the funders really going to be interested in com- building a compliance, best state-of-the-art compliance infrastructure, state-of-the-art KYC and identity, fraud prevention, not necessarily. Some do, and I hats off to them. Um, some of some of them are, are more visionary and long term, but mostly not, right? Whereas banks, that's got to be top tier of our concerns, and so we have to have oversight over that. And it's, so it's been a it's not easy. Um, banking as a service is very difficult. I'll tell you that from the outset. It can be very rewarding. I believe wholeheartedly that all of this will come together at some point, and I believe in it. And we are having, you know, while we've had. A lot that haven't worked out. We do have a an agile mindset around here. It's like, okay, well, let's close the book on those and keep on on the on the ones that are working. And some of them have been phenomenal successes. Um, so, you know, as we go through this, it's it's not for the faint of heart. Go in with your eyes wide open. Uh, talk to a lot of other bankers that are in it. Pull your your regulators very close to you. Um, you you want to have a really strong relationship with them as you enter this. Don't surprise them. And you know. Come on the journey. I'd like to see more, more banks involved in this. Well, and the reality is, you're, in many cases, we see that the organizations that are building banking as a service structure, and many times have to educate the the regulators. And that doesn't mean telling them what their job is, but the reality is, they're playing catch up also. One other thing we've seen with organizations that I've interviewed is that it becomes an educational and an innovation process both ways. The financial institution helps to innovate and work on behalf of the fintechs, but the fintechs also really educate and help the financial institution become more innovative. So looking beyond traditional banking as a service, what innovations have you introduced in the traditional banking side of Coastal to make digital banking better for your customers? Yeah, I think, you know, what we're really, it, it's kind of in the lab, I would say, because it's really does have to do with that that coastal world innovation that we're doing. You know, we're really trying to to create an environment. And, and you know, coastal world is a lot of fun because it is a, a 3D um, gamified thing to go play in. But the truth is the, the what we're working on underneath is that complete digital kind of um uh, infrastructure that can engage the customer in any way, right? And so we thought about, so a lot of core systems that are batch aren't very easy to take from a mobile app to start a process in a mobile application, walk into a branch, finish the process, you know, how do we translate it all 
to there. You know, we're, we're working on that completely digital interface that really focuses more on building the, the information system around the consumer that they carry with them, if that makes sense. And so the interface doesn't, doesn't really come into play as much in our aspirational kind of build. It's really starting to figure out how to empower the customer with their own data, um, which we all, you know, it's the open banking that we know is coming, uh, maybe hypercharts. That's going to be a multi-year journey as we see it, uh, but we really believe that's kind of the, the innovation or how we're trying to bring these two together is underneath all of a sudden. I do like to think about it in kind of a wallet or digital twin environment. You know, how do you bring all that into a wallet? My identity, my my credit details, right? And I don't want to get start talking about credit scores and go down that path, but I could spend hours talking about, you know, how that's got us held back right now, right? How do we, how can we look at, you know, new sets of data points that we can trust to tell us about somebody's capacity to pay and willingness to pay? It's there. How do we bring it to bear? And there's, you know, we're not going to bring that to bear. You know who's going to bring it to bear? Those fintechs out there that that are really passionate about solving digital identity. And, you know, what we want to have is that interoperability. How do we bring them together and then make that work for a consumer. So what are the aspirations for Coastal for the next one to three years? Well, I think I've kind of gone way beyond that. I've talked about our five to eight year aspirations, but. Um, <laughs> you really have, but I mean, there's the part that's the dream and there's the part that's the, the tactile reality in many cases. Where do you hope to be one to three years from now? Yeah, in the one to three year environment. So we like to think about it. You know, if you look at the roots of a tree all the way out to the tips of the branches, right? The roots of the tree may be where we are right now. The tips of the branches, all the places that we may be going. We don't know. You know, we just hired uh, in December Barb McLean, who well known, you know, in the industry. She's kind of supercharging these efforts for us is, is you know, in the next one or three years, how do we build a composable infrastructure built on a modern cloud-based data platform that can interact seamlessly, have the highest level of trust for, for data stewardship and data movement. And so it's there's nothing sexy about this, but it's critical, is we're trying to build the best protected infrastructure in the next one or three years, where we, we feel that you, if you come in and con- conduct business within our ecosystem that you can do it in a very reliable and trusted way and that's composability so we're building up to the trunk of the tree with and then the first parts of branches and then we don't know what direction any of this is going right the metaverse uh, all you know as much as we experiment out there you and i know uh that we don't know you know where this is all gonna end up right well, you know, and and I, I've referenced it more than a few times in the podcast recently is that just look at ChatGPT. That wasn't on our mental horizons until November 30th. And now it's the front and center of almost everything that's being discussed, which just says you need the foundation to be in place and you need the, the challenger mindset to be in place to be able to be ready for the unknown. Because as much as you think you know where the branch is going to go, you know, some new branches get created. You go, you know, that's a better branch than what I was going for. Exactly. You got to be able to pivot, right? Long-term strategy doesn't work as a fixed point of view, right? It's got to be a strategy can pivot. And, you know, when you talk about chat GPT, we talk here is like, you know, we all think about, oh, wow, what the possibilities. Guess who else is looking at it, right? Fraudsters. Fraud rings, right? 
think of the power it enables them to create and uh, you know fake IDs that can behave just like a real human being, right? Because some of the fraud detection things are oh well, you know this look this consumer was playing Candy Crush for ten minutes and then shopped at an online mall and did these other behaviors. This looks like the footprint of a real person. Well, I guess you know how much harder it's going to be on both sides. So, you know that does lead us to to that protected infrastructure, right? Can you start creating these bubbles around places to conduct business that are more protected? We think that's a long-term play. But again, we're we're going out to the beginning of the tree trunks and then, you know, we'll pivot depending on which tree trunk we need to jump on. So So finally, you know, $3 billion, I mean, you're not a huge organization and yet you're doing just amazing things that banks 10, 20, 100 times your size are not doing. What recommendations do you give to banks or credit unions today as they prepare to be more future ready? Yeah, I'd say, you know, get control or invest in your data, right? And first of all, I do believe it's the customer's data, but you're the steward. Get control of it. If it sits within a core, figure out a way to get it out of your core, right? Figure out how to begin to build data management capabilities. And from there, you can do just about anything. The other part, which we touched upon, which, which is your people are the biggest strength. Empower them with technology. Don't replace them with the technology, right? Human in the loop and chat GPT, you know, as you, if you think about being able to get to the gray matter faster, I mean, do you remember when Google came out, the same articles were being written in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, it's going to ruin education. It's going to, it's going to replace people. And all it did was empower us to get to using our gray matter faster, we have the same opportunity, but underneath it all is people and data. So invest in those. It's funny. You, you, you mentioned about being around for a while as I am, and people are saying, well, you know, we got to avoid chat GPT to be able to be in the classrooms and all this. I'm going like, I'm sorry, but I go back and you go back to the time when we weren't allowed to take calculators to the classroom. We weren't allowed to use calculators on an SAT or an ACT test. They made us use, I had to use a slide rule. I still don't know how to use a slide rule. I had to use my fingers and, and a pencil. I wrote it all on that, my hand. <laughs> oh, there you go. And and good eyesight. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you've got to be prepared to embrace that change as opposed to fighting it. Kurt, thank you so much for sharing the story. It is a great story to show it doesn't matter what size you are. It's the, the mindset of the team. You're doing just such amazing things there. You're getting amazing people on board, yourself included. Barbara McLean for certainly is, is a great addition. But I think more importantly, you're continuing to have a foot in the future while keeping the foundation strong. You're, you're not going out there blindly. You're, you're keeping a foot on both sides, which which is actually it's a pathway to success and actually makes every day fun. It is fun. It's a lot of fun. Well, thanks, Jim. Uh, as always, enjoyed spending some time with you. Thanks for listening to the Visionaries Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you can use to elevate your digital game. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with either someone in your organization or someone outside your organization. Post it on social media or just leave a thumbs up and a comment. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hassage, audio engineer, Chris Fafalias, and video producer, Will Pritz. Thanks again, and we'll chat with you next time on the Visionaries Podcast. Podcast.